Welcome to the Rivalry Week in-state game episode of North, 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 and, 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 go, go, go podcast. I am Nice Later Hosen. Uh, some of you know me as Benji, others Ellis McPickle. Some of you really just don't know me, but I am, that's who I am. And uh, I've got my trusty co-host here with me. I am Jake, Salt Lake Jake, formerly the Mighty Alaskan Ute. You're formerly Alaskan Tom. Our podcast yes. is formerly North and Gold. Now it's now, now that we have no Alaska name in our podcast, we should probably change our name to Fourth and Gold. I don't know. Mm-hmm. North and Gold works great, right? Because we're still Alaskan at heart. You still live there. Anyway, yes, we're excited because it's rivalry week, and we came out of the gate sparring before mm-hmm. we even started recording. But ironically, we both came out of the gate dressed in our patriotic Utah slash BYU gear, which is just just amazing, right? That's right. Yeah, my choice during the summertime, it's a choice like, all right, do I wear a BYU shirt or not? Because that's like a 50-50 in my wardrobe. And during the football season, it's which BYU shirt do I wear? And so um, I had to snag something. Also, this time of year, it's hoodies in the morning. And then driving home from work, I'm like, man, it's too hot. Why am I just wearing a hoodie? So I grabbed this T-shirt just like 20 minutes ago. And it's the beautiful sunrise that's red and white over Y Mountain with a blue mountain with a Y on it. Uh, and I was, I was just remarking that... BYU Bookstore is following the Old Navy uh, marketing strategy of making a new patriotic shirt every year that everybody has to buy for 10 bucks, and yep. I, I like it. It's a good shirt. I like it. And, and with 9-11 being this weekend, I said it was a perfect, uh, perfect wardrobe choice for today's podcast. And I am wearing my drum and feather Utah hat. However, it is red, white, and blue. Star spangled mm-hmm. drum and feather Utah hat. So we're both wearing our patriotic gear, and let's just let's dive right in, man. Rivalry week. Should, well, let's should we, should we recap our first week's games first? I forgot. Eventually, we, but you'd suck. Yeah, I yeah, I hate everything so, about you. Oh, speaking of, did you hear Max <laughs> Hall on, the, on the radio today? They asked him that, no, I, that question. I read on Twitter something along the lines of he still hates the fans, but I did I did not hear the quote. No. Well, it wasn't anything inflammatory at all. Uh, they, the, Scotty G on 1280 asked him, said, hey, so were you just going to unload no matter what in that press conference? And he, uh-huh. said, he said, yeah, I was. In fact, I told Duff Tittle on my way up to the pulpit, I'm sorry for this, because he, he knew he was going <laughs> to unload. Um, and he, yeah. he, he did apologize for one thing, actually. He, he said he apologized for lumping the entire university in that, because there's a lot of good people at the U, a lot of good players, coaches, etc. But he meant it and still means it towards the fans and so yeah so that that it rankled a few Ute fans but hey i appreciate it the second he went on that that rant the lord said oh they're they can't win anymore <laughs> if, if this is how they're gonna act and so i appreciate max hall doing that he he's the one that sparked this 10 game streak well 11 year nine game streak soon to be 12 year 10 game streak saturday night baby so he kicked it off i agree um and i do Need to point out, I appreciate that I I get the sense that he is much more mature than he used to be. Of course, we all are compared to those younger days. But, you know, life has thrown a few bumps and bruises his way. He's he's fallen on hard times a couple times. But here's what I love. Despite the fact that he says, I hate him, I hate everything about him. You know, they poured beer on my mom. He's got he's got his reasons for feeling the way he feels. You see time and time again, people that bump into him, Ute fans that bump into him. And he takes pictures with them. 
You know, it was yeah. like, okay, so yeah, you hate him, but you're still saying, yeah, sure, I'll take a picture with you. Hey. Like, that tells me, th- that's a lot like the rivalry goes for us. Like, yeah, I hate you guys, but deep down, no, you, it's, I, I'd it's, do anything for you guys. I love you, but I hate you too. It's the it's the online thing that we've talked about a million times. People online are we're, we're rude, we're, we say mean things, we, we, we express hatred online, but in person... My best friends in the world are BYU fans. I've said that a million times. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's the same way. People will say online what they won't say in person, and this is just another example. People say they hate him. He hates them. But in person, people are kind and friendly and cordial, right? So Yeah. Hey, quote of the week, the Ted Lasso quote of the week, Ted Kalani Sataki Lasso. This is going to stick with me for a long time. He, he put into words what I've always felt, which is when someone asks him, do you cheer for the youths to lose when they're not playing you? And he said, no, wishing bad things like wish hoping that bad things will happen to good people is bad for the soul yep. and it was like preach brother i love that i hey, love that i mean i've said it a hundred times he's awesome i loved him when he was our yeah. defensive coordinator i think he's a great guy still to this day absolutely um yeah i, I love i love kalani sataki the person but man i hope he loses goes down in flames <laughs> on saturday baby Here's the good news for BYU fans. We'll just jump right in here. The good news for BYU fans, I think something happened when I was off Twitter because I'm like like way behind on all these jokes or inside whatever. This is not a rivalry game anymore. This is now the in-state game, and BYU has never lost the in-state game. So I'm grateful for the rebrand. You know, rivalry game wasn't our thing, but the in-state game... Maybe that's our thing. I'm they've all also, for it. I welcome also this. Never, they've never won an in-state game, the in-state game either, so it's all new to all of us. Do you know where that came from? I like from? our chances. You, you were off Twitter. Do you know Twitter? I was off Twitter. And so Do you know I where that came together. from? Some guy from Florida asked Kyle, and Kyle yeah. was like, which game? Which game? So it was, it, was like, the Fox, it was the Fox guy, RJ Young. He said, say nice three things. I love it because it's so funny and, and obvious that he's just what he's doing, right? But it yeah, really wrinkles yeah. people up. He they said, mm-hmm. say three nice things about your rival. He's like, who's our rival? And he's and the guy's like, uh-huh. RJ Young's like, don't you dare do that. You know what I'm talking about BYU. And he goes, ah, the in-state game. Like so uh-huh. like dismissive that it's just so, <laughs> to me, hilarious because it's so, but here's, here's it's the so funny dumb but too. it's so awesome at the same time. It's not every year that Utah plays Weber State. It is most years they play BYU. So why introduce it as the in-state game on a year when yeah. you have two in-state games? That's what a like... slap in the face to Weber. Well, maybe, yeah, it's like, yeah. maybe it's like Ohio State, the Ohio State. He's talking about the in-state game. You know, not just yeah. one of them. He's talking about the. He's right, man. It is the premier in-state game. You gotta give him. You gotta give it, him credit you know, for that. Love it or hate it, like I'm, I'm not letting it bother. Like at first, I was like, "Why are they? Oh yeah, sure, yeah, they're too cool for us, whatever." But here's the thing: let's just suppose, for example, that this name sticks and that this goes places. Because I heard on the BYU Arizona game, the guys said, "Up next for BYU is the Holy War. This is one of the best rivalries in college football." So right there, you've got like these national guys. They call it the Holy War, and they say it's a rivalry. And not only is it a rivalry, it's the best one. So we don't need validation from Kyle F. Whittingham. The F stands for father because he's yeah. been our daddy for a long time. But <laughs> yeah, we right. don't need validation from him. Everybody in the nation knows. But here's the thing. If it sticks and it becomes known as the in-state game at a national level, can you imagine the national writers like, are you ready for the in-state game? And everyone who's like an insider knows football, they're like, oh, the in-state game. Watch out. Yeah, yeah I don't, bring it on. I don't get That's a great name. That's fine. 
Well, I mean, you know, as we're, we're slowly trying to move away from any tiny hint of being offended at anything, and people uh, think the holy war, or some people think it's offensive because of the word war, which I'm not going to get into that. Don't drag me into it, Benjamin. I love the name the holy war. <laughs> I love the name the holy war. I think it's awesome. It's unique. You say it. People in college football know what you're talking about, right? They know it's the Utah BYU. But I digress. If for some reason we have to move away from the Holy War because that's too offensive to some people, then, hey, if we can coin the in-state game, that's cool. Has, has there been a similar movement to get away from the Civil War, which is uh, one of the, Oregon yeah. or Washington, yeah. right? One of those. No, no. It's Oregon and, and Oregon, and Oregon State. There has yeah, been. Yeah, okay. In fact, they did change it. They changed oh, the name. Okay. It's no longer the the, the the Civil War. I can't remember what they changed it to like a year last year, but they, they did change it. They, they officially... It's, it's maybe also the in-state game. We're yeah. all going to be super We're lame all, with our names now. It's going to be Team A versus Team B in the in-state game yeah. in the state of California. Okay, good. <laughs> Premier football competition game. Yeah. 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 Just, let's just go all generic. Just That's all right. Kirkland brand football. That's great. Yeah, that's exactly right. Kirkland Brad football, exactly. Well, dude, we got so many freaking things to talk about, right? We got okay. your impending Big 12 invite. We've got our previous, both of our previous openers. We've got the Holy War. Let's just really recap, really quickly recap our, our team's games and what we liked about it. You go first. Uh, I like the I like the outcome. I like that we won. Um, I like that there is plenty of film. You know, I'd, I'd had the privilege of, of watching the Utah game first and hearing Kyle's remarks and thought, man, you could copy and paste what Kyle Whittingham said and it would apply. There's a lot of film. There's a lot of room for improvement. You know, by no means was it a complete game or a perfect game. Uh, I was pleased with the trajectory of Jaron Hall. And by that, I mean his first, uh, I want to say, dozen passes, maybe. He was 50%. He had one blatant overthrow where, I mean, his guy was wide open, 15, 20 yards downfield, and he threw it over his head about five yards. And I just, in that moment, I thought, oh, here we go. We've been spoiled with Zach Wilson. We haven't seen an overthrow for a really long time. But you see that happen, you think, man, that's just like Taysom Hill. It's just like Tanner Mangum. Like, you go back quarterback after quarterback we've seen them struggle with accuracy downfield and that oh we're we're in for more of that like normal life again normal flawed quarterbacks that are going to make mistakes sometimes not the elite zach wilson who never misses um however he finished i want to say i read it was 17 of his last 22 so his final whatever 75 percent of throws his accuracy went way up he hit neil pau just dead center in the middle of the stride for just this amazing blitz was coming. I mean, it, he did everything perfect on that play. Got a touchdown from like 50 yards out. Um, and so I was, I was happy with his trajectory. Not that you want to read way too much into comments, but I found myself doing that with a lot this game. Um, and Zach Wilson, when he was interviewed on the sideline, he said, hey, I've, I've watched Jaron for a long time. He's going to get comfortable. He's, go, he's just going to get better from here. And I thought, I think Zach is seeing what I'm seeing. I think Zach watched him the first quarter and said, ooh, this isn't great, but I know he's capable of doing more. I know he's capable of getting better. And, uh, you know, with any luck or not even, you know, with, with uh, let's hope that that first quarter was his worst quarter all year. And, and I believe that's possible, you know, from, of course, the defenses are going to change, but I think his confidence will improve. He's going to be more comfortable in the pocket, and uh, I think he's going to get better from here. So I was happy with his game. Um, I was happy with the fact that BYU was able to hold out 
key personnel that were not 100%. So they had two. So they had both the Nukuas not not going. Um, they lost Gunnar Romney, which is sucks because they he, they likely lost him. They've said not for the whole year, but it's likely going to be a significant amount of time. Um, of course, defense. We had that scary injury. Um, and that one too. I don't. He may or may not be back. I don't. He's not gonna be back this week, but it may be sooner than we think because I was worried concussion. We're all worried neck injury. It sounds like he was unconscious, and at that point they brought everyone in. If you read into what people were observing on the field and putting out there on Twitter, it's very likely that they had a very tight circle around him because he had asked for and was receiving a priesthood blessing at the time, which is one of those unique things that uh, you would likely find in our programs and might be a little more rare in the rest of college football. Um, but yeah, priesthood blessing, he's out there. Um, and they're, they're all optimistic about his future. But I think just the fact that he was knocked out, I don't think I've ever seen anybody lose consciousness and play the next week. I think concussion protocol automatically gets triggered. <clears throat> so a um, yeah. couple weeks out, hopefully he'll return. Uh, in addition to that, they had, a I think, another linebacker that they kept out. And so the fact that we're able to kind of treat this as a warm-up game in that sense, that we're not using everybody who's not 100% healthy, uh, I'm encouraged by. I think we might see an improved showing next week compared to what we saw this week. But all in all, I was happy with the effort. Uh, I was happy that we're facing a guy known as Dr. Blitz that ended up blitzing our guy once, getting one sack on us. Meanwhile, we got four sacks on them that was something like 50-yard uh, loss, you know, and all of them combined, and really momentum changers. So Tuiaki's not known for being a real aggressive, heavy blitz guy. But I think that's key. When you play a prevent defense, when you say, let's keep everyone in front of us, you have to throw things like that at the other team from time to time to disrupt a drive. And so I think that's going to be the key going forward. Gotcha. Good. Lots of good thoughts. Um, So one thing about Hall I I wanted to ask you about. I saw a stat, and I wish I could remember exactly what it was. But aside from his long pass down to uh, Pau'u, It was something like 15 of his 18 completions were behind the line of scrimmage or something like really, really high. So that tells me they were being extra conservative on purpose, right? His first game, not not taking too many risks with throws across the middle. And it's evident in the fact that uh, Isaac Rex, um, who's your all-world tight end, only had one catch, right? Did he have one or was it two? Yeah, I mean, he was his name. He was largely conspicuously absent from that game. Absolutely, he was. Yeah, so I think that I think that may go towards a point towards the game plan of, like you said, maybe be conservative in vanilla a little bit and not not show a lot because whether whether you want to admit it or not, man, this is this next week's game is humongous in regards to like perception for you guys because you haven't won in eleven years and you want it really really bad. And hey, I'm not saying we don't we want it bad too. Obviously, but we have the luxury to fall back on. We've won the last nine, so it's not as like do or die type of situation, right? You guys need this. Your players have said, "Yeah, this." Is, I mean, like last year, they said it was their super one. One guy I can't remember said it was their Super Bowl last year. I don't remember who or the year before, but it's it's a big deal. So I I, I imagine this week everything will be wide open playbook wise, right? Anything you can do to gain an advantage, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. The alumni, the former players, they're not bashful about it. I, I'm, maybe it was Brian Keel that I'm thinking of. Uh, there's been a few of them that say, just win this game. I don't care if we lose 10 games, win this game. You know, like they're hungry and they know the stakes. So absolutely they're And I don't know. It's maybe a mix of 
playing conservative to build Jaron Hall's confidence. You know, let's not send him out there and have him wreck, like get three interceptions in his first game. You know, let's keep it simple, but also let's not show our hand all the time. And one thing I liked about Aaron Roderick, I know when I say that name, Ute fans just like shudder, you know, because there aren't a lot of lovely feelings going back and forth that way. But what I saw him do last year with Zach Wilson, years past, two or three years earlier, it was like heavy jet sweep. Like that was our identity that we kind of borrowed from Boise State. We said, all right, let's kind of change it up. We've got Hefo, who's just a speed demon. We're going to use him on the edge. We're going to just going to throw this at the defenses over and over and over again. Well, b- between Roderick and Jeff Grimes, I'm not sure who it was more of. They looked at Zach Wilson and said, this is what we've got. Why would we mess around with a bunch of jet sweeps? And they kind of retooled the offense around what they had. And so I don't know if we've seen enough to know what the identity will be this year going forward. Um, It may be that with a non-elite quarterback that we go back to throwing a lot more jet sweeps and bubble screens and just try and change it up and keep the defense on their toes. Or it may be that we're going to open it up you know, throttle it up, get him launching it downfield. I know he's got the arm strength and he's capable. So I think we'll see a little bit more next game on what they're intending to do with the offense this season. Yeah, well, from from what I saw, um, to me, the X factor with him is his speed carrying the ball, right? If, uh, mm-hmm. if, if the play breaks down and he's able to break contain, he is one of the fastest guys on the field. From what I saw... On, on a couple yeah. of his runs, right? And so I think Utah's did a good, do a good job of, of containing him because I think there weren't a lot of design runs for him, and I personally think that was by design because they don't for want sure. to show that hand, right? But yeah, I, so I think Utah needs to be aware of the of the design runs this week against him. Um, and and like you said, when the first when the when the game started, you had to kind of prepare yourself that you weren't going to have an accurate assassin, and that's still going to happen. You know, he's still he's still young. He still doesn't doesn't have a lot of games under his belt. Zach Wilson was the number two pick in the NFL draft. There's going to be times where you're like, man, I forgot like what it's like to have a quarterback throw a, a pass behind a guy or, or too far, mm-hmm. right? So so there's going to be some growing pains. But, yeah, I mean, for, for your first game overall, I thought, you know, you couldn't have asked much better um, other than the fact that when Arizona kind of made it a game in the second half, the mood on Twitter and in the, in the <laughs> fan stratosphere shifted dramatically because it went from – Heck yeah, we're up twenty and three. We're awesome. I saw a bunch of BYU fans saying Utah's going to kill us. Utah's going to kill yeah. us. They they immediately went from from joy to like crap. Utah's next week is going to kill us. And I wouldn't mind if we did. I wouldn't mind if we did. But I thought that was that was funny. Well, it's that meme of like flashbacks of Vietnam. You know that meme where you've got helicopters yeah. and explosions and all that. Here's why. That was that all took place within two minutes. And it was coaching mistakes, you know. But here's the thing that I wonder: the one, the safety, Kalani took ownership of that. Was like, yeah, we shouldn't have been running that play. But everybody runs it up the middle when you're on your own two yard line. I don't know if that was necessarily a design. I mean, I watched that again today, uh, this afternoon. I had a little bit. I had a long lunch, and so I watched a lot of the game again at lunchtime. And man, Arizona brought the house on that play, and BYU just looked like they were full of holes. They let every guy through. I mean, it was just. It was bad execution. I don't know if the uh, if the play design was necessarily at fault, but you know, in hindsight, you'd say, "Oh yeah, they're bringing in everybody. Let's take one step back and hit the guy ten yards out on the sideline." You know, correct? Correct but, me if I'm wrong because I only I only saw it live. I never saw a replay. It, it appeared on that play like the the line got blown up by the defense, and that's why the play just went the way it is. It did. A couple guys just either missed their assignment or just got beat. Is that kind of what happened? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, a much bigger, much more motivated offensive line, you can run that play and you can get three-yard push to give yourself some breathing room. And that's almost always what coaches do. And so uh, maybe it was why Kalani was taking ownership, saying maybe it was too predictable or something like that. But anyway, that led to them getting a 40-yard return on the short kickoff, which set them up. So they only had to have like three good plays to get in the end zone again. And they did, the the guy that scored, I mean, he juked our defense just out of their jockstraps. He made this move that opened up downfield and he just marched right into the end zone. And so it's like, man, you take two mistakes, and suddenly it's a safety, a touchdown, and a two-point conversion. So suddenly it's it's a one-possession ball game where it looked like it was headed to be a blowout. And that's why I'm saying they're having Vietnam flashbacks is the Utah game, time and time and time and time again, has felt like either we are going to win this, we have a lead we can hang on to, or we could win this. You know, I mean, it's very, what is it, something like seven of the nine have been eight points or less, which is one possession. You know, seven of the nine, one possession. I know some of those games, that doesn't tell the entire story because they're taking knees at the end, but it tells you they're not blowouts. It tells you that one or two mistakes can cost you the entire game. And so I, I get it when you say, oh man, we're making these one or two critical mistakes that everything we've worked for has now fallen apart at the seams. Luckily, the rest of the game didn't fall apart and unravel. They got it together. They imposed their will and I think, I mean, that's that's what we love and hate about the game. I've said it over and over and over again. This is a game of chaos, and you have to love it. If you don't love the chaos, this this is not for you. Oh, man. And I don't you know go how, watch, watch cross country or something, something I predictable. How, I don't know how people don't love football. I'm, I'm, I know I'm biased as can be, but I'm a fan of most sports, and this is just, football is just by far and away the best, man. It just, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Anyway, okay, so that was good. Utah game. Um, Against Weber State, I've heard a lot of people say, well, Utah didn't look that good. And the fact is, no, they didn't look like world beaters. However, I have seen enough Kyle Whittingham games against FCS teams to know this is exactly what they look like every freaking time. Every time. Mm-hmm. I look back at several several of our other games. Weber State in 2018, the year we won the South for the first time. I, I rewatched that game. It was 10-7 Weber with three minutes left in the first half. And then we, we, we pulled away and won. And I remember that game everyone was upset too because we didn't look good against an FCS team. The first game against FCS teams, rarely does Utah blow them out. They did it one time in 2013. They beat Weber 77. And what happened that year? We went 5-7. and seven. So you, you just can't glean. You can't take the game Utah has against an FCS team to open the season and project it for the rest of the year because it never matches up. I mean, we, we beat like... Uh, I think it was Northern Colorado or maybe Northern Montana or something. Uh, the first year in the Pac-12, we beat them 24-17. And we ended up going to the Sun Bowl that year. So like I said, yeah, I've seen this show before. What happens with an FCS team? We make a few mistakes. We, we, we don't really air it out. And we just kind of win. And especially against a guy that's Kyle Whittingham's good friend, Jay Hill. He doesn't want to embarrass him, you know. So what I saw was exactly what I expected to see. I expected us to have moments where it's like, what the heck are we doing? And then also end up winning big, which is what we ended up happening. What I wanted to see is I wanted to see some 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 things from Charlie Brewer, how he'd react under pressure, which he had more pressure than I, I hoped he would. I wanted to see how the offensive line would play, and I wanted to see a couple playmakers emerge. So as far as Brewer, he, other than his, his first drive, he overthrew a pass. He threw one a little behind. But other than three or four passes, he was like dead on the money. He was sharp as could be. Uh, he had passes that made he made passes that I haven't seen Utah quarterbacks make very many quarterbacks make um, that were just 
plays perfectly down the sideline over the over the linebacker right in front of the safety. Three or four of those where he 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 had 20, 25 yard gains that were just perfect crossing out to Enos or a, a streak down the sideline to our tight end. So I was really impressed with Brewer, but but I shouldn't be surprised because the man is a freaking fifth year senior that's won big time games and led his team to an NY6 bowl. So that was the one thing that really frustrated me this whole offseason. Like, well, we got to see what Brewer's like if he's good enough. Dude, he's he's proven, yes, he hasn't done it in our offense. I get that. But he's proven that he's seen everything. He started almost 50 games. He's seen everything. He has a wealth of, of, of games against high level teams. So it's so it doesn't surprise me that he was cool under pressure and that he was he was good. Where I was concerned but it comes with the caveat, is our offensive line, again, didn't look great. However, I have to remind myself that two of our five starters weren't even dressed due to concussions. Um, our starting our starting guard, who was all Pac-12 second team, Satoa Laumea, he was out, and our starting left tackle, Jaron Kump, he was out. And they're both expected to play this week. So I think we'll see a different um, level of play from our offensive line. Um, so I'm not worried there. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to say – I'm not saying – that it won't be crappy or won't it will it, it, that it's going to be amazing, but I'm not worried until until I see more evidence that it sucks, then I'll be worried. Then, but uh, and lastly was the playmaker situation. I want to see a couple playmakers and Tavion Thomas looks like the next great Utah running back. He's a big big boy, 6'2", 230. He looks like a big beefy linebacker out there, but he's fast and he doesn't go down easy. He had over 100 yards on just 12 carries. Um, I expect as the season goes on, he's going to be the focus back and get 20 to 25 carries and be our next thousand yard rusher. So I'm 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 happy with everything that I saw, but I'm not I'm not to the point where I'm like declaring it. Oh, okay, yeah, we're we're undefeated national champs. You know, there's still questions remaining, but um, yeah. So that's kind of my brief recap of, of the Utes. I got the impression I was distracted watching. I had other things going on, but I was trying to watch the entire game. Did they kind of rotate almost like chunks of like big chunks of time with each running back? I, I want to say they used three guys and they said, all right, this is our guy for the first quarter and a half. Then we're lying on this guy. <coughs> Excuse me. Not COVID. <coughs> Man, I've been fighting this cough for a long time, but it's not COVID. Um, and then they relied on the second and then finished the game with the third guy. And Thomas was kind of the guy that emerged near the end, right? Yeah. Well, no, he so they start. They, they did that. They actually had four guys get carries. Pledger. Okay. Well, they started with they started out uh, opening drive. Makai Bernard, who was our returning back from last year, he got the first drive, and then Pledger came in. He got some plays, and then Thomas. They mixed them up, and then in the second half, they also used Chris Curry, who was the LSU transfer. So all four guys got mm-hmm. carries, but towards the end, when they needed s- scores and stuff, they they brought Thomas back. So he uh, he got he got the most carries of the four, um, but he was he okay. was the third one on the field. Yeah, but he got the most care ended up getting the most carries. The, the, another thing that is frustrating is is Charlie Brewer's numbers looked pedestrian. Well, they didn't look pedestrian. They they looked okay. Two hundred and fifty yeah. yards, nineteen for twenty seven, two touchdowns, and a pick. But if you look at the actual plays, like there were literally two touchdown passes right in the hands of people that were dropped that we settled for field goals on both. Yeah. Of them. Literally, like I'm not talking like oh he could have scored if he had juked a guy. No. The first one was was across the middle to t- to Pledger on the one yard line right in his hands, and all he had to do was catch it, and then he's in the end zone. He dropped it, field goal. Couple of drives later, uh, on a third down, they they sent a blitz from the linebacker, and and um, Brewer read the hot read, and he threw a fade to the end zone right into Cole Fallergam's hands, right over the shoulders 
for a touchdown, he dropped it. And then his uh, the, the last play of the first half was a Hail Mary to the end zone that got intercepted. So those three plays, none of them were his fault. If you, if you, if you don't throw the Hail Mary, if you just take a knee, and if both those guys catch it, now we're talking 21 for 27 with four touchdowns, 300 yards, and no picks. Now that's quite a bit mm. different than, than what it is. So he looked really good. I was really really impressed with Brewer, um, and uh, I think I think uh, I think he's uh, he's a good quarterback, man. He's he's you know people say oh Utah hasn't had a good quarterback for a long time, man. Put some respect on Tyler Huntley's name. He was just there two years ago. He started for three years. First team All Pac twelve quarterback. He was a good quarterback. However, where I think Brewer's better than Huntley in, in a regard is he's a pure passing quarterback, and he's really really like. Hard, uh, really, really smart, knows whatever I'm looking for, what I'm looking for, a quarterback where he, he can read the the, uh, the defense really well and he puts the ball in the best position every time. Whereas Huntley was just electric. He would break open big runs if he needed to. He would break out of tackles, throw for long passes. He was a really good quarterback, but they're different styles. So I think when people say, mm-hmm. oh, this is the best quarterback we've had in a long time, I think they're just talking specifically like a pure passer. Whereas yeah. Huntley was more of a, a, an athlete and quarterback type of thing, if that makes sense. Brewer's a classic beauty where Huntley's more, yeah. Here's the thing. Huntley, too, his game evolved. When young Huntley was kind of run-first mentality just because he's an athlete and he could juke guys, he could beat guys one-on-one. But I think as his game matured, he became a pass-first mentality. But I don't think that was natural for him. I think he had to be coached up that way, whereas, you know, someone like Brewer that doesn't have, I don't know how his speed is. He doesn't strike me as a guy with uh, just blazing wheels. He's he's probably past first mentality just in his nature. Yeah, he's more of a, a traditional quarterback, and whereas Huntley was like a, a superstar athlete molded into a quarterback. And you're right, early on he was more he was more uh, happy feet where he'd leave the the, the uh, pocket. But his senior year, I, I think of that Washington game. Washington was a good team, not a great team. They went they went eight and five. Um, you played them. They beat you guys down in, in Provo. So they were, they were a good team. Um, but we went on the road there, and we needed to win because if we lost, USC would have won the division. And we needed a win. We got down, and he literally threw us to victory. I'm talking we're down down three in the fourth quarter. It's third and seven on our own 25, and he throws a guy open 30 yards down the sideline. Two plays later, third again, throws a guy open for a first down. He literally made huge throws to win, which is what we needed. But, yeah. Different styles of quarterback, so um, I'm happy with Brewer. I think he's. I think it's. I think it's going to be a, a good year for him. So, which brings us to the in-state wait, wait, game. One, yeah, okay. Yeah, one yeah. thing before we go, just a really quick thing because I saw this a little bit on Twitter. It made me laugh. Hypothetically, Weber State versus Arizona. Who gets the W? I, here's where I'm conflicted because I <laughs> I beat the P5 drum nonstop. Right, that's just what I <laughs> yeah. do. The fact of the matter is, though, we I always do I always beat the P five P five drum, but I always say, except with exceptions like Vanderbilt, because Vanderbilt sucks, and Rutgers, because right. Rutgers sucks. Dude, Arizona is one of on the par with those teams this these last couple years. I mean, they've lost thirteen games in a row. Yeah, I don't I don't care what competition they were going against, good, bad, or indifferent. Their last game before BYU, they gave up seventy points. And lost seventy to seven. They're they're just they're just not a good team right now. So I think Arizona wins, beats Weber. But I think it's actually a good game, man, because Weber is yeah. not a slouch. Weber is they're four time Big Sky champs in a row. They're a great FCS team. They're not a good one. They're a great one. So I think the gap yeah. between them and the lower level FBS, which Arizona is, isn't that big. And you know what? There were five FCS teams that won this week. You know, 
Yeah. Because yeah. one one thing someone else pointed out that I hadn't thought of is take to, to one thing you got to keep um, in mind that nobody's really talking about is the FCS just played a season three months ago. You know, mm-hmm. they've played seven games um, already this season, and it showed in this. It showed against their FBS opponents this year. Five FCS teams beat FBS teams, including yeah, um, including Montana beating Washington and Utah State beating Washington State. You know. That that's, yeah. that's two FCS teams right there, and so I think and, we just demoted the Aggies. And even even teams like Texas A and M, it was like they were only up one score late in the first half against an FCS team, and they're a top five team. So I think that's an advantage that a lot of FCS teams had this week that we don't really talk about is they they were fresh. They just played an entire season three months ago, you know. So that yeah. they it wasn't a lot of rust. So I think that add a lot to it. So. Back to your original question. Lots of rambling, I know. I think Arizona ultimately wins because they 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 have better athletes. But I think it'd be a better game than people think. That's the well. That's why I love this question. It's an honesty test because here's the, we found people on Twitter like arguing, not not directly acknowledging it, but the narratives have flipped completely because BYU had so many good games last year, but not a single P5 game. But you just look at it and be like, well, yeah, but UCF's not bad. Boise State's not bad. You know, Coastal Carolina, they're they finished. I mean, they started this season ranked. I mean, they've got respect. You know, so it's like, yeah, they're they're not P5s, but they're good teams. And so everything BYU players have been saying over and over and over will suddenly when analyzing Utah Weber, it's like, come on, it's Weber. It's like, okay, who are you now? Who are you really? Yeah, yeah, and then the same funny. thing going the other way. All the Ute fans that are like, no P5s, no P5s. It's like, all right, BYU just handled P5 pretty easily. So, you know, does it matter? Does it not matter? All honesty. Anyway. All honesty. If we were to hold a mirror up to the other fan base, we'd see ourselves. <laughs> For we would, sure. dude. And it's a fact. I admit it. I admit it. Yeah. And I admit in the middle of arguments, sometimes I will flop my position just to hammer my point home. I admit it. Because yeah, yeah. that's what you do as fans. You try to get over on the other people. Um, and... Uh, yeah, but it is funny because I had a BYU, a really good friend of mine who's a BYU fan. We text every football season during games. I was like, dude, I, last week when they were playing Hawaii, UCLA, I said, UCLA looks freaking good. I told you before. I told them in the offseason, UCLA is going to surprise people. And look, they're killing Hawaii. And he's like, yeah, dude, but it's just Hawaii. They're not even P5. <laughs> and I was like, and I just sent back the thinking emoji like, are you serious? Oh, Which is really? the opposite of what I was saying to him all last season, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but anyway, it's funny because like you said, we hold the mirror up to our fan bases. We look the same. But I, I feel vindicated with UCLA because the next week, they, they handled LSU easily. And I don't care if LSU is a 500 SEC team. They are loaded with talent, and they're still a good team. And to handle them that way is impressive. So UCLA, in my opinion right now, is the front front runner to win the South and win the Pac-12 because yeah. they look the best of everybody. I think we can all, both fan bases can come together over the fact that we don't like the fact that UCLA is good. Uh, you, because you share the division, us because I, and I don't think I think it's one of those things where the hate flows one way. I don't think BYU fans necessarily hate UCLA, but we do feel a lot of hate coming from UCLA sometimes. You know, there's huh. there's a few venues where we show up and the FBYU chant just kind of takes over. That's one of them. You is know? it really? People, it is. It is. Huh. It absolutely is. That. You'll show the student section and be like, "Wow, they're they're not fans of ours." Meanwhile, the next you know few weeks later a few weeks earlier you're in nebraska and everybody's just like the most polite person you've ever met you know i mean there's a there's a palpable difference in uh, uh 
I guess, areas or fan bases that just aren't fans of ours. And there's a few reasons for that. You could get mixed up in the uh, the culture wars that are more prominent in more liberal and larger cities. Sure. But I think another part of it, uh, and this opened my eyes years and years and years ago when I was living in Southern California, I went to a San Diego State game. You know, it was a BYU away game. And man, we took over that stadium. It was three to one BYU fans. And I looked around and thought, holy cow, if I grew up a San Diego State fan, like we are the Lakers of this conference. And, and nobody likes the Lakers. Yeah. Like when you show up at, at the uh, Vivint and, you know, half the fans are wearing Kobe jerseys, you're like, man, yep. screw these guys. We hate the Lakers. And I thought, yeah, I, I can understand why they hate us. I get yeah. it. Uh, also, a little, a little to that point, I've noticed that opposing fans, like the Blue Blood fans, are a lot nicer, man. They just are, for some yeah. reason, they're, when we went to Michigan in 2008, granted, this is freaking 13 years ago now, which is crazy to me. We opened at Michigan in 2008. Rich Rod's first game as Michigan coach, we won. That was the year we went undefeated the Sugar Bowl. Their fans, I had at least 35 to 40 fans come up to me after the game, shake my hand, say, great game. We were so glad to have you here. It was so yeah. crazy. Like 30 to 30, like, like almost like it was a coordinated effort. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, why are these guys so awesome? So I think, I think, I think a lot of times Blue Blood fans, because they don't have anything that they're not intimidated, like thinking that, you know, they're not insecure. They're Blue Bloods, you know, they're, they're, right, they're, they're right. a lot kinder. I, I noticed that at Michigan. I noticed that at, at, uh, at Notre Dame. Um, where's one other place? Iowa State, even though they're not a Blue Blood, their fans were incredible when they were out there. Anyway. That's yeah, awesome. A long story. Yep. All right, let's yeah. let's let's go, man. Bribery week. Let's go. Yes. All right. How do we want to dissect this? There's a lot to break down. Well, I say here. Let, let's do this. Let's let's um let's give our predictions because then that can just that'll lead to conversation, right? Let's yeah. give our predictions. Of what happened? What I expect to see? And I want, as we discussed, I want no holding back. I want your true thoughts, not your watered down. I'm on a podcast with a friend who's a friend of the rival. <laughs> right. Just give me give me your true thoughts. I'll go first so I can set the table so you know what to expect. Here's, all right, all right, all right. Here's what I expect. I think Utah is going to it's going to be a lot like the 2019 game. What happened in 2019? We went down there. Utah was a really good team that year. That was Zach Wilson's sophomore year. It was close the first two quarters. I, th- I think the score at halftime was 13-6 or 10-6 or something like that. And then Utah just imposed their will and won by three scores, 30 to 12, right? Um, and, and was the better team. I think it's going to be something very similar. I know you, you've you got a lot of guys back that you like, but I still think we're more talented. Uh, I think we've got uh, better playmakers on offense that can uh, uh, that can attack your defense, and we've got a senior quarterback. So I expect something very similar. I expect us to go down. I expect the energy to be insane. I expect the crowd to be insane. I expect it to be back and forth for the first quarter and a half. But Utah's going to pull away and win 33-20 uh, for win number 10, and it's going to be glorious. Why do I feel that way? I kind of gave a few of my thoughts. I feel like I'm more talented, but I think what's going to happen is – Utah's just going. Charlie Brewer's just going to pick apart the defense because you're going to do. You're going to do your drop eight, drop seven, um, try and keep everything in front of you. And we've got three really, really good tight ends. We're going to play a lot of two tight end sets. Uh, Keithy, Fotheringham, and, and Kincaid. We're going to get eight, nine, ten yards over and over, and we're going to win thirty-three twenty. Cool. I can see that. I will see your prediction. I thought there was going to be more swear words. You said we weren't holding back here. Uh, I already hit my uh, quota of swear words today. <laughs> your quota. Your jar is full. Um, yeah. I'm going to say BYU wins this one 38-21. Do those numbers mean anything to you right now at this moment? Uh, I was trying to think of some 38-21, 17-point win. Um, yeah, I, can't, I can't place where you're going. 
Utah is currently ranked number 21 in the AP poll. Were that poll to extend all the way up to 40, <laughs> BYU would come in at number 38. That's uh, Someone like Greg Rubel figured that out, like we're the 38th team. So we got a couple votes, I think two votes total, which put us at where we would be 38. And I, I saw those numbers and I said, 38-21, huh? I like that. Now someone pointed out BYU has not put up over 30 points against a P5 in, I don't know how long, maybe three years or something like that, which I guess, you know, you take out last year, but it's been a few years since we've reached that mark, maybe even longer, I don't know. So that's a tall order, getting BYU to score that much. So you then say, okay, if they're going to win, are they going to be able to hold the defense? Here's how BYU does it. I'll tell you first the X's and O's of how they do it, and secondly, the, uh, the mental edge that they've got there. The X's and O's, BYU's defense is relies on the disruption the linebackers are the strength and specifically Peyton Wilgar this is why when I look over the personnel when I look over the depth charts and this is what I was trying to put into words a little bit better preseason when you say we're the lowest returning production I get that the numbers don't lie it's true but I look up and down the roster and I don't see inexperience you know I see people coming back who've had meaningful minutes and Peyton Wilgar is one of them on defense I think he's going to end up our defensive MVP at the end of the year even when he was young, when he was a freshman a couple years back, I think he had a key interception against USC. I mean, the guy is a ball hawk for a linebacker. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, oh, that Bronco Mendenhall, New Mexico guy, Erlacher, that, that spent all that time there. He's a, he's a linebacker that can drop back and disrupt defenses. So if Utah's planning on bringing a lot of tight end heavy sets, that sort of plays right into what I see as our strengths, which is linebackers who can drop back in coverage and disrupt, but linebackers who can also throw a blitz at you you're not expecting and disrupt that way. Uh, the weakness is the secondary because it's BYU, and, and it always is. You know, I mean, that's just not what we excel at. We're not known for capable man coverage because we don't have the speed. Uh, we did not get burned, and I think so many of Tuiaki's defenses – are known for that because he plays preventatively because if he were to play aggressively, we would pay for it. And fans find that so frustrating. But time and time again, I'm saying, you know what? Tuiaki knows the guys. He knows what we can get away with gambling and what we can't. Whittingham said specifically, BYU's known for dropping guys, playing soft, you know, keeping everything in front of them. So if you're going to do that and say, all right, we'll give you guys seven, eight yards at a time, you have to rely on an interception here and there. You have to rely on a sack for a loss of 10 here and there. That's the only way you can stop a drive and, and turn the table. If we if we just drop back and we never throw a wrinkle, then it's over. The game's over. Utah's going to score every single possession, and it's going to suck. So those uh, surprises on defense is how we're going to get it. Uh, offensive side of the ball, the thing that worries me just a little, I had read before last game that Aaron Roderick is a football genius but his weakness can be that sometimes he's indecisive and former Ute players have gone on to say they did not get the play in time and so they struggle because he couldn't make up his mind of what to do next. I saw that one time. There was one time in that game where Jaron Hall's looking at the sideline and doing the hurry it up thing. He needs to know what's going to happen next and so I worry a little bit about that. I think for BYU to win offensively, it depends on A-Rod. It depends on Jaron Hall. I think everybody else can can do their assignments, do what they're supposed to do. Jaron Hall, one time he made the wrong read last week where, you know, it's the you hand it off or you keep it yourself. And uh, he took the ball back and it just got sacked while the running backs got like five-yard cushion around him. So it's a matter of him being able to make the right reads quickly 
and A-Rod call the right play quickly. If we can do that, there is no stopping us. That's the X's and O's edge. The mental edge. Well, go ahead. You you got something to say. Then we'll talk Whoa, about the no, mental. No stopping you. That's bold, man. There's no stopping you guys at that point. Huh? No stopping. Here's no, thing. you'll here's try. The, here's the thing with our defense is we always have an awesome, a, a awesome defense. This year, I feel like we have a really good defense, but I don't think it's as elite as it was in 2019. And, dude, just being honest, it's almost impossible because almost everybody from 19 is in the league. Like, almost everybody. Right. I, I'm talking, like, all 11, with the one exception of Devin Lloyd because he's still here, right? So, mm-hmm. And he'll be in the league. So, literally, by the time it's all said and done, all 11 guys will have meaningful NFL. So, I don't think our defense is as good as it was in 19. I think, I think um, the weakness of our defense, if you were to say that, would actually be our secondary, which a lot of times is our strength, because they're so young and inexperienced. We Last year, they only got five games, and they were all young freshmen, right? Um, Clark mm-hmm. Phillips, we've talked about how highly recruited he is, and he's a stub, he's still young, whereas our front mm-hmm. seven, I think, is our strength. Our D-line's always good. Mika Tafua is going to be the next in-line great rusher. we got the big D-tackles that'll clog it up. We've got the best linebacker, in my opinion, in the conference, in the Pac-12, Devin Lloyd. He's incredible. And Nephi Sewell is an all-conference linebacker. So our front seven's awesome. If if there's a place to maybe attack our defense, it is... It is in the secondary because they're just they're so they're so inexperienced. And if 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 Pukunakua and uh, if Gunner plays and Pau, if they're all healthy and you and you can attack deep, that might be an area you can get us. It would it would depend if we can get pressure on them or not. But I, I think if there was a weakness in our defense, it's our secondary, just because like I said, they're so young. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. That's why I feel like so much depends on on Jaron and on A Rod because they got to find those holes. They've got to exploit them. I think we have not yet seen. You know, this is like the uh, Ferrari that you took for a test drive and said, all right, you got to obey the speed limit. And now we're going to go out to the salt flats and you're going to really open it up. I, I would love to see downfield separation all over the place. And I think they've got the speed and the talent that they can do that. They just didn't do a lot of it last game. Uh, and then you hit on it earlier. Isaac Rex. That was I felt like, man, this guy last year was a touchdown machine. I mean, he was so reliable. He's so big. He, he wins those one-on-one battles. He's physical, but he's got great hands. I mean, and we go all back and forth all day about who's got the best tight end in the state, and, and we both have great arguments. I think, honestly, Utah has better arguments than BYU just based on I, they maybe have one of the best rooms in the country. But Isaac Rex is by no means a weakness. He wouldn't be a weakness on any team in the country that he's on. So uh, it's great that we've all got capable, potent offensive weapons in the tight end room. Uh, Holker also, I think, I mean, he's he's every bit as capable. He's just coming back off the mission. Um, so I'd love to see them thrown up. I mean, it, when you've got that many places you can look, the defense can't focus everyone once, no matter how good you are. You, I mean, someone's going to miss a step. Someone's going to be, get beat somewhere. Yeah, and it, I mean, it happens. It happens throughout. It's a, it's a you know... 60 minute game there's going to be a lot of breakdowns can the quarterback take advantage of it that's the question is will will sure. hall i mean cuz he's he's played 3 games and he's i think it's he's played against 1P5 in Arizona and 2 uh, was it USF and Toledo? Was that who he played against, or who did he play against? Anyway, he, there's there's no there's no there's no denying this is the best defense he'll have faced as a starter. Um, sure, Utah's super talented on defense, and so can we rattle him? If we can, then I think we win. We win pretty big. If he can beat us over the top, then we got a close game. Yeah, but well, I, I expect. Event, I ex- no, go ahead, please. I was going to say in the event first. that. 
in the event that he does get rattled literally physically, because that's that's been my biggest concern is his his head when he gets hit in the head. Uh, I, I have all the confidence in the world in Baylor Romney watching him just dismantle Boise State, who was ranked something like 16 or 17 in the nation at the time. He handled that game. I mean, from start to finish, he was just on point. And so, you know, if Jaron doesn't get it done, I, I think Baylor can. Um, but you know, we'll see. I don't, you don't, you don't want to look ahead to that and say our backup quarterback is going to get us the win, but yeah, even, um, even if, even if he's awesome, there's a, there's a difference though, coming in mid game when you weren't expecting to play and the game plan's not for you, you know, that's, oh, it'd be, it would be a tough, tall order for him, but he well, may be, this is, maybe this is easier, easier said than done. But if I'm A-Rod, if I'm Kalani, I'm telling Baylor all week, you be ready, you be ready. You go to bed at night planning on playing three quarters. You know, you wake up in the morning excited to play those three quarters. Like, you be ready. But, you know, who knows? Um, let's talk about a mental edge. Yeah. Unless you have um, anything else you want to get back to there. Nope, nope. No, I, I like that. Um, so, yeah. So, as far as... Um, should we give our, our final score prediction and player of the game? No, no, no. I, I got one more big thought I want to hear your thoughts on. Oh. Because oh, this is oh, where okay. my mind has been this week. This is why... The number one why that I'm optimistic, well, number one why I'm optimistic is, is because I'm a BYU fan and that's what we do. But here's the reason for my optimism that I'm latching onto. Way, way back, way back in the day when I spent way too much time worried about Bronco versus Kyle and who's really better, I delved into the numbers a few times and I found, I think we've dissected this in the past in the podcast, the first decade of Kyle Whittingham versus Bronco Mendenhall, Kyle did hold the head-to-head edge. But Bronco, it turned out, had the edge as far as competing against all the other schools when you break down all the different wins. But deep in those numbers, what I found was Kyle had bigger wins against better teams, but he also had worse losses against worse teams where Bronco was much more predictable. And you noticed the team had a little bit of that identity at the same time. BYU was just a little bit more like, this is business, every opponent's the same, we're just going to show up. Where Kyle, his boys came out psyched and amped up, and they'd win the rivalry game, but they always lost the week after, or they would lose the week before. You know, There was just something where, yes, they'd win that game, but they didn't have enough in the tank to, to keep that mental edge for the game before or the game after. I've noticed this identity shift this week, at least in the rhetoric. Kyle Whittingham, I mean, just the very fact that he's saying, oh, the in-state game, like that by itself, that signals to the team, yeah, this is just another game. You said a few years back that they had BYU Sports Nation on in the weight room all summer. If he really means it, if Kyle really means we're bigger than the rivalry, we're focusing on the Pac-12 title, we're just we're looking at other things, I don't know that he would keep BYU TV on in his weight room all summer. So I don't know if that's happened this year or not. And so to me, Kyle has become a little more Bronco-like in that this is just another game. We got bigger things to focus on. Let's not make a big deal out of it. And you know, you know BYU is hungry. This is not just another game. I fully expect BYU to be destroyed by Arizona State no matter what happens this weekend because they are pouring everything into this one and arizona state's a good team they're probably what are they ranked higher than utah right now or lower they're they're lower, close lower but yeah just by a i think a 22 or something 
Yeah, they're they're ranked. And so in essence for us, it's like playing Utah twice in a row, you know, that level of a team. But you really care about one and you're going to be not focused on the other. So I, it wouldn't shock me to see BYU beat Utah by two or three scores and then just get destroyed by Arizona State, like 40-point loss. I mean, that's that's the kind of identity that used to belong to Kyle Whittingham that I think Kalani Sataki took with him. Because you've also seen that in Kalani Sataki's era. We've lost to friggin' Toledo and UMass. And we beat number three Wisconsin on the road at their own place. I mean, this team, is, it has this wild identity fluctuations. And that's why I think in this case, where this is a game they want, it's a good thing. I see. I see. I will say, I can see why you would create that logic. But I can tell you, Kyle Whittingham still treats this like it's a big deal in the, inside the facility. I know he's got stuff hanging in lockers right now about stuff people have said. So whether you think he, he does? No, I know he does. I've I've been told and seen pictures of comments from from some of the BYU players hanging in the locker room this week. Like about, what comments? What does he got? You got to share your uh, share your insider well, stuff. If I were to <laughs> to know specifically, for example. Um, <laughs> Uh, just that that Mason Wake saying he can't stand Utah. Uh, he said that uh-huh. earlier this week. Um, things like that would that's, be hanging. That's not that mean. Nobody that? can stand Utah. That's like saying like I hate grasshoppers eating my plants. See, well then we kick we kill grasshoppers eating our plants then because we're amped up for it, right? So I know he's I know he still pulls the same tricks he always does, even if he says in the media it doesn't matter as much or whatever. He still pulls you, the same shenanigans. Do you think he's had BYU TV on in the locker room all summer? Uh, I don't know if he's done that this year. It wouldn't surprise me, though. I mean, I don't think they've... I don't know. I don't know what, what he's done, but I know he does. Dude, we still have a countdown clock to when we play you guys. Like, it, he hasn't changed Yeah. That. You know, he hasn't changed But, but so, you have that for every team, right? Or no, is there one just specially for us? I don't know if it's changed, but there at one point there was just a special, special BYU countdown. It might be for everyone now, though. That that was a, a yeah. holdover from Urban Meyer, though. That was what Urban Meyer brought in and, and oh, had really? that held over for a little while. Um, I don't know. I don't think he – I think he's still tre- – dude, he's a prideful man, right? He, You remember mm. after 2009 when they had the kerfuffle on the field where his wife got caught up in it and he swore yeah. his life he'd never lose to BYU ever again. Obviously, that's not something you can totally control, but at this point he hasn't, and I think that's a point of pride to him. So I think he – well, it doesn't matter what he says in the media. I think he still puts extra emphasis I, on this. I don't think he doesn't care about the game, but – uh, 10 out of 10 times you say win the Pac-12 or beat BYU. He yeah. d- it doesn't matter anymore. You know, he's got yep, bigger I, things to worry yeah. about. That hurts me to say, but it's true. He does. The other thing, I gave a talk in church not too long ago on spiritual maturity, and I can see spiritual maturity in Kyle, and I can see him saying, you know, in my younger days, I was a little more hot-headed, and I'd hold a grudge, and someone offended my wife, and I've forgiven that person by now, and you know what? We just We're just here to get along and be brothers, and you know, he's about to be called as a mission president probably two years from now. That's my prediction. He will be <laughs> presiding over the, um, I don't, did he, I don't, does he speak any foreign languages? No, Columbus, Ohio mission. That's oh, yeah, I could. well, no, that, that'd be too, that the media wouldn't, I, I mean, you know, God is God. I'm not going to tell him what to do, but I'd say somewhere like, uh, like Maine, yeah. Northeast. Well, I mean, you, you bring up a good point. Really, the last thing he has to accomplish in his career is to win the Pac-12 championship. He's done everything else he can. He's had undefeated seasons. He's gone to Sugar Bowls. He's gone to. He's gone to. Um, he's beaten his rival senseless. He's won a lot of games. He's won the South. He's done everything except win the Pac-12 title. So absolutely, that should be his top priority. Absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, whether whether it makes hurts people's feelings or not, 
it doesn't matter if we lose to BYU. We can still accomplish all the other goals, right? We can still win the Pac-12 championship whether we beat BYU or not. That's just a fact. Yeah. However, I mean, he he's he's grown up, born and bred in this thing, man. He he doesn't want to lose this game, especially hey. especially if this is his last one because we take a two year break after this, and you know who knows it'll be here in three years. How much do you buy into the narrative that the shortened season and limited practices is what has hampered the Pac-12 as a whole that was evident by week one or week week one and two, just week one? Um. I don't I don't necessarily buy into year over year being affected by the previous year. I mean, you know, it obviously affected last year, no question, because there were some teams like yeah. Arizona State that played four total games. But I mean, who knows? Maybe it maybe it you know, missing out on eight games of reps slowed people's progress down and their development down to where who knows? I can I, I can listen. I'll say this. I'll listen to arguments on both sides. I personally feel yeah. they've been practicing and playing football their whole lives. Missing out on four or five games shouldn't make that big a deal for the next season. Yeah, but the thing that you can't replicate is functioning as a unit together, the communication, those things in live fire situations, you know, saying, all right, this is not, we don't take a time out and talk about it every time we make a mistake. We got to move on to the next play. Boom, 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 boom. I honestly, I wanted BYU and Utah to play week one this year because I saw that as a competitive advantage. Now, looking back at how they each did, I don't know. I think maybe our chances are just as good week two as they were week one uh, because I'm seeing Jaron Hall's improvement from game one that I'm hoping will continue into game two. But um, I do see more, even though BYU's lost by the numbers the most returning production, I think as a unit, they've played a lot more meaningful minutes together than Utah has. Well, sure, as a unit, I can I can see that. But the thing is, in college football, you have so much turnover year over year anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like if, if you're losing six players and bringing in six new ones, then really did it matter that you, you half your team was there last year and not there? I don't know. I, I think, yeah. I think talent wins games. Ultimately coaching matters, recruiting matters, everything matters, but ultimately the best team with the best players usually wins. There's no, re, there's no doubt why freaking Alabama is a juggernaut unstoppable. They get the best recruiting classes by far year over year. And you look at this opening weekend of college football, they replaced everybody. They had freaking three Heisman finalists on the offense yeah. leave. And what happened? They had arguably the toughest first opening matchup, played a, a top 15 team, and they made them look like an FCS squad. They're just unstoppable. And the reason is they're always number one recruiters. They have the best talent. They have the best coach. And generally, if the best talent, you you win more. That's just a fact of life. They've, they've built a good system. I... I want to say, though, there's something to be said about the movie Miracle and the strategy employed by the United States to beat the Russians in hockey. They finally did that when they got away from saying, let's just get the best hockey players. They they focused on who can play together as one to exploit their weaknesses. So and that's, that's what we love about this game. It's a blend of both. Like, you've got strategy that can overcome. You've got... Uh, good coaching. I don't know. I think I think you and I have kind of danced around this a lot in the past. And obviously, you having the more talented team, uh, it would make sense to say talent wins. I don't want to say Kalani's a better coach, but when BYU wins meaningful games, it's not through talent. It it, it has to be through coaching. <coughs> oh yeah. I mean, I can I can see that. But the Utah also wins a lot of games that are going against more talented teams. I mean, I look at the game against Oregon in 2016 or 15. They they are loaded with talent year after year and we freaking destroyed right. them 62 to 20 in their own, you know, in their own stadium. 
So Utah wins plenty of games where they're they're less talented. I mean, we're going against yeah. we're going against Oregon, USC, who are top twenty recruiters, top fifteen recruiters every year, and we've won three times against Oregon, three times against USC. So I don't know. I yeah. think I think it's I think with Wit, it's a blend. I think he coaches yeah. a lot of guys up and uh, is a good coach. Anyway, well let let let's uh, let's make our final predictions and our, who we think will be the MVP of the game. I'll let you go first. Okay, yeah, I'm sticking with uh, 3821. Um, if it is 3821, it can be no other person other than Jaron Hall. Uh, if it happens that way, if he puts that many points on the board, it's going to be his coming out party. He's going to, and, and yeah, it's it's going to be just uh, one for the ages. Still, I'm sure there are uh, hordes of fans who will already be clearing space for his statue if he if he wins and if he wins 3821. It's been a long time coming. I've been thinking about. How long we've wandered in strangers in sin and cried in the desert for thee, you know, like we've been wandering and wandering and wandering and uh, we're going to be free shortly, shortly. It's going to be great. Israel, Israel will shortly be free. Yes. Not the Israelites on your team, though, my friend. The final (laughs) score is going to be 33 to 20 and the player of the game is going to be Charlie Brewer because... He will, like you said, you guys like to drop eight, but then also bring blitzes out of nowhere. He is smart enough to pick up on those blitzes and hit the hot route, and he's going to have a game. He's going to have a masterful game. Utes are going to win 33-20, extend the streak to 12 years, and really it's going to be 15 because we take the next two years off, which, you know, that's another discussion. But that's the fact of the matter. If you don't get us this time, this is Jaron Hall's only chance, man. This is... This is Jaron Hall's only chance to break the Max Hall curse. Can one Hall break the other Hall curse? This is his shot. If it doesn't happen, it's going to have to fall on someone else's shoulders in 2023 or four. Here's what I wonder. You know how dog years, you know, there's like seven dog years is like one person year. What are streak years in people years? Because I feel like <laughs> I feel like if the streak dies this weekend, it won't be something where we're like, oh, it had its whole life ahead of us. We'll, we'll say it had a good run. Well, good for it. It's it's happy now. It's at rest. It's what? it's on a farm. It's on a farm upstate. We're happy that the streak has died because it had a full life. The streak was able to do things that no other streak is able to do, and we should not spend a moment mourning the streak. We should just mourn those who are sad that it's gone. Let's go with dog years, man. If it, if it's been nine years, that's that's uh that's sixty three years old. This streak is sixty three. That's a good time. Ah, uh, that's that's still, still kind of young, young, but yeah. Okay, but, you know, we'll, street, we'll go we'll go we'll street, go off for years. We'll go off for years. It's eleven years, so it's seventy seven years. I, I'm gonna throw this in there too. The the streak's kind of an a hole. The streak is kind of a douche. Like we shouldn't really be that sad. It's gonna it's time for it to end, and that's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, all all of. Uh, I think I can't think of a good comeback to that. I had I had lots of them working in my head about people who were. I'm trying to think of it. Like I don't know. Screw it. You think it because you whatever. Anyway, you were gonna think of someone who made a final like repented in their 90th year and made something no, I, out of themselves. I was trying to think of someone who was like universally beloved and accepted, but had one enemy who hated their guts. You know, like I was trying to come. Up. Even Gordon B. Hinckley, man, he had people that were yeah. excited when he passed away. So that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. You think the streak is President Hinckley, and I think the streak is Hitler, and that's okay. <laughs> we, we, can, we can feel differently about the streak. That's all right. That's, that's, what, right. that's what makes us brothers. All uh, right. All right, brother. Fans, well, there's a good way to end. Write us, tweet at us, tell us who is the streak and should they die. This is a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Any sponsors today? 
Mucinex. Yeah. <coughs> brought Man. to you. Th- this is brought to you by COVID nineteen. <laughs> Holy cow! This, this, this what a podcast. year! This is, yeah. I cannot believe. I can't believe so many things about this year. Yeah. Uh, life is too short. Just be kind. This is. I heard last night. Sometimes when life is stressful, I I I can only sleep if I have headphones in and I'm listening to. Like, I have a rotation of the same 10 stand-up comedians, and not only that, the same 10 performances, because it's something to get my mind distracted, but I don't feel like I have to pay attention, so I can, like, just fall asleep. Anyway, Todd Glass, Act Happy on Netflix. I'm going to say that sponsors this. He said in, like, minute 40 of that, he says, let's stop calling everything PC, PC. We don't need to call everything PC. You know, oh, I'm so tired of everything being PC, and we have to be politically correct all the time. He said... Don't call it PC. Don't call it politically correct. It's called kindness. It's called being kind. And I thought, ooh, I like that. I like that. Let's just reword that as, as yeah, you don't have to. It's just, just be kind. That fixes everything. Kindness does. But there's no kindness in this world, man. It's the end of the day. It's the last end of days. I don't want to be all gloomy, but hey. <laughs> Let's get the savior back. Let's get going. Let's get going. Yeah. Hey, right. they, a lot of people have been saying Big 12 invites coming Friday, win over Utah's coming Saturday. Be ready Sunday, okay? Just be ready. <laughs> For the Lord to come back. Yeah. <laughs> that's sweet. what it's going to take. Sweet. I agree. That's what it's going to take. We- cried in the desert for thee this is yeah it's happening (laughs) all All right right. well we will see you next week whoever wins the game will open with that team's fight song that's our tradition yeah there we go all right all right go utes go cougs